Friends, let us pray. Holy God, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit and equip us to be bearers of your life-altering, blessing-filled word. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Hear the words of our gospel text from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but Later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I begin with a confession. It was really hard for me not to hear today's parable without the overlay of our present-day political circus. Consider the main characters. A marginalized woman begging to be believed, begging for justice, and a public figure who neither feared God nor respected people. Kimberly Bracken Long called the judge in this tale a rotten politician. So I think if CNN had existed back in the New Testament world, they probably would have been all over this story. It was also hard for me not to see a classic comedy sketch in this story, one in which a frail little old woman whacks the stuffing out of a bumbling thief with her purse sending him away humiliated and licking his wounds. Which actually might not be that far off. So allow me to put even a little more flesh on the story that we just heard, the story that Becky began to unpack. And I hope by the time we're done, we will all know this story by heart. So imagine with me the woman in Jesus' story, she is preparing to march resolutely toward the judge. Imagine as she takes a deep breath, as she pauses for a moment to summon her courage to confront him and to demand justice. And imagine her as she realizes she has to do this yet again for the umpteenth time to fight for what is rightfully hers. She is a widow, and as Becky said, is a widow in the first century world, she likely has no way to support herself 
financially. Ancient Hebrew law didn't allow her to inherit her dead husband's estate. It went to his sons and brothers instead. So she will survive if they do the right thing and help support her. If they do what the Hebrew law requires and return her wedding dowry to her, she will at least have something. But she is completely at their mercy to follow that law. And if they don't, she has no money and she needs legal recourse. So that's one very plausible story behind the story, one possible reason she needs the judge to help her. But now there is another problem. In her world, a woman's place is in the private realm of home and family. But in the public arena of business, finance, and law, well, that's not a widow's or any woman's place. In that society, she needs a male family member to speak publicly on her behalf. But she doesn't have one. So here she is, a widow with no money, no kin, and no voice, no power, no sway, no influence. Are you beginning to see why she might be desperate? Why she is vulnerable? Her very survival is at stake. Well, if your survival were at stake, what would you do? You'd do what you have to. If you had to go to places you normally don't, if you have to plead for what you need every single day, day after day after day, you do it. And it's what the widow does. She crosses that boundary from the private world where society says she belongs to the public world where she doesn't belong. And she marches on to fight for what's being held back from her. This poor woman heads over to the city gate where all the men hang out, and she marches right past them to find the judge. She is daring. She is desperate. She is determined. But humans, humans being what we often are, passively or actively ignore injustice. And so it is with this judge. He is supposed to uphold the Hebrew law. He is supposed to settle disputes. He is supposed to listen fairly to all sides. And in the case of widows, he is supposed to make sure she receives food, care, and financial support. He is supposed to make sure everyone does the right thing. But he refuses to pay any attention to her, day after day, week after week. The judge pushes the widow aside. And day after day, week after week, she returns and cries out for justice. And day after day, week after week, the widow is rejected by the person and system that is supposed to protect those who are most vulnerable. I imagine the judge counts on the widow to remain in her proper place. I imagine he counts on her to keep quiet and suffer in silence. 
and I imagine him growing increasingly hostile as she makes so much noise out in public, no less. I imagine as she pummels him with constant pleas in front of the whole city, it's becoming a public relations nightmare, not just for the judge, but for her opponent who's holding back what is rightfully hers. There is a reason we are still reading these ancient scripture stories thousands of years later. Because they speak truth about who we are and the urgency of what we are called to be. Today at Third Church, we are observing the children's Sabbath where thousands of faith communities around the country focus on improving the lives of children and their families, especially those most vulnerable, living in poverty or suffering from abuse and neglect. And in my humble opinion, no one speaks the uncomfortable truth about the state of our nation's children better than Marion Wright Edelman founder of the Children's Defense Fund and initiator of the Children's Sabbath. And she doesn't hold back. Her words are very hard for us to hear. And yet I think part of our call is to risk the extreme discomfort of hearing them. She writes, People of faith and goodwill must put their bodies and souls in motion to curb morally obscene and indefensible child poverty rates, wealth and income inequality, massive miseducation of poor children of color, preventable hunger and homelessness, mass incarceration and unjust criminal justice systems that criminalize the poor, and bullying and demagogic politicians encouraging assault of nonviolent protesters. Those are hard words to hear. Nationally, more than one in five children lives in poverty. In the city of Rochester, it's more than one in two. 52.5%, the highest in the nation. Our hearts have to break over this reality. Edelman goes on to say that the time is ripe now to do what is right and to reject the ugliness, the violence, the demagoguery and greed that have permeated far too much of our political discourse. We must move forward and not backward and teach our children how to disagree strongly without disagreeing wrongly. When I put Marion Wright Edelman's challenge side by side with Jesus' parable, I can see the church in one of three possible places in the story. I hope we won't be the judge in this tale. 
I hope we won't be the ones who are annoyed by the persistent cries of the widow. I hope we won't be the ones who categorically blame her for her own circumstance. And I hope we won't be the rest of the widow's community whose silence in this story is deafening. I hope we won't be the ones standing idly by. I hope we won't be the ones who aren't paying attention enough to hear her. I hope we won't be the ones who assume that someone else is taking care of her. And I do hope we will take our cues from the widow who refuses to be ignored. The story doesn't tell us, but I imagine she could have children who share her plight. I do hope we will join her in her persistence on behalf of what's right and moral and just until that resistance finally breaks down. On this children's Sabbath, we can join the widow in her pleas for justice. We can sign a letter advocating for increased child care subsidies in our own county so that our families who live in poverty can afford to have their children cared for. And if you do nothing else today, if we all do nothing else today, I hope we will all do that one simple thing and make our way down to the table in coffee hour in the celebration center and sign that letter as we're munching that popcorn. We're going to take those letters over to the Children's Agenda office and join them with hundreds and thousands of letters from others in the faith communities around this city and give them to our elected county officials. You don't even have to mail it yourself. And I hope we will all tune our ears more closely to the stories of children in our community, stories like Dale and David told, stories of young people arrested for driving while black, stories of children whose schools are overwhelmed by the impact of trauma. I hope we will challenge the use of coded language that not so innocently disparages children of color and immigrant children. I hope we will join the work of advocacy organizations to help right the wrongs that plague our community's children. And I, and I'm sure John and Martha, are more than happy to give anyone recommendations. I hope we will support the Presbyterian Church's Educate a Child Transform the World initiative to improve the quality of education both nationally and internationally. I hope we will create the political will to dismantle our segregated education environment. And for those that are able, I hope we will offer tangible support to children in need to sign up to tutor at school 3 or 35 or East High. You can do that in the Celebration Center, too. I hope you will help provide a school uniform through the drive that we'll be conducting over the next couple of weeks, or offer time at, with the children at Cameron Community Ministries, or 
provide the physical and financial resources needed for that work. And I hope against hope that we will all pray with persistence on behalf of all children and youth. I hope we will pray with dogged determination for every person who ministers to their physical and emotional and spiritual needs. For Maggie Dawn writes, prayer as Jesus taught it is about refusing to believe that the way things are has to be the way that they will always be. About imagining how the world could be and gaining the wisdom and the energy to bring it about. So I hope we will pray with tenacity, with purpose, and most of all, with hope. For Jesus' parable of the widow and the judge contains an interesting twist. The judge finally does the right thing for the widow, even though he does it for all the wrong reasons. He grants justice not because his small heart suddenly grows three times larger that day, and not because he took God's law seriously. He grants justice because, simply put, she nags him until he can't take it anymore. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if this is what the corrupt judge does, how much more will your trustworthy God do? How much more? For if we listen to Jesus' words closely, we discover that God isn't just quicker than the judge or more ethical than the judge. God isn't just a better judge than humans. You see, for God to do justice is consistent with and is part of God's very being. And God is even able to bring about justice in spite of every human tendency to the contrary. God chooses the unchosen. God chooses the vulnerable to be God's very own children. On this children's Sabbath, pray with persistence and do not lose heart. Pray for justice. Pray with your words. Pray with your actions. And pray in hope. For if this is what mere mortals can do. How much more can God do? Amen. <laughs>